Hey everybody, my name is Aiden Mattis. Welcome back to the Lore Lodge official podcast. Let me know how the audio is because I changed some things around. I'm hoping it sounds nice and crisp and beautiful for all of you, but I can of course up it at any time. Today I'm flying solo. Uh, Thornbussy is at the beach celebrating his mother's birthday, so everybody wish uh, Mrs. Thornbury a happy birthday. She is a wonderful woman who I have known for a very long time and has been extremely supportive of both Aiden, myself, and the show as a whole. So I want to give a nice birthday shout out to that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, as for the show tonight, we're deviating from the Missing 401 stuff we've been doing for a while. I'm going to be open and honest about that, and I hope that you will stick around and bear with me, because we're going back to some of the bread and butter of what this show was originally about. We're going to talk about some European folklore, some Native American folklore, some really, really, really ancient religions, and, of course, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite, favorite creatures in all of folklore, the Wendigo. And I must ask, as we begin the show, if you wouldn't mind giving an absolute smash to that like button. And if you like what we're doing here at the show and you want to support us, you can subscribe on Patreon for just $1. I quit my job on Friday to go back to graduate school. I will be getting a master's degree in history. And what that means is I'm going to have so much more time on my hands to create content, which is so, so exciting. So I I mean it when I say the Patreon and the YouTube members sections are about to be absolutely Poppin'. We, of course, also just released our Tableau Roasting Co. collaboration, so we have coffee coming out. Feel free to check that out. The link is in the description. Without further ado, I'm going to get into the show. So for anybody who watched our video that came out on Friday on the Leshy, you'll see a few things. One of them is that there's a lot of different descriptions, there's a lot of history to go through, and I got some things wrong about the Slavs. I want to quickly correct myself. I said that the Moravians were Eastern Slavs. What I meant was the Moldovans. I also said that the Serbians were Slavs. I more meant the Balkans in general. Slavic history is not my forte, and my perusal was more about the folklore than the history. I was kind of going off of stuff that I learned in college. So, I do apologize for anything that was incorrect in that respect. But, I am super excited to get into some of this tonight, because what we're dealing with is... You know how, like, there's convergent evolution, where a lot of things become crabs? Well, that's kind of the, the same thing that seems to be happening with folklore and Europeans. Our ancestors, if you're American, our European ancestors, or if you're Canadian as well, or if you're Australian, I guess there's a lot of, yeah, Europe kind of went all over the place, and, and you know, they, they went ham when it came to the colonization stuff. So, if you have European ancestors, you probably have some connection to a culture that didn't necessarily worship, but at the very least deified something that appeared similar to a stag. In the case of the Celts, you're looking at Kernunos, and in the case of the Slavs, you're looking at the Leshy, but not really, because the Leshy doesn't actually have antlers. Much the same, pardon me, the Wendigo doesn't have antlers. Europeans just seem to attach antlers to things, and I have a really half-baked theory, I intend to study this more, but it came to me this week that the reality of it is... Europeans associate the forests with 
male deer for some reason, probably because of a very, very ancient connection to the deity Kernunos and its associated deities in other spheres. As you may well know, much of the Proto-Indo-European pantheon made its way down to groups like the later Celts, Germans, Norse, and even certain Italic and Greek peoples. The Proto-Indo-Europeans were, or I should say the Indo-Europeans, Proto-Indo-European is the language that we believe all of it stems from. The Indo-Europeans came into the European continent from the steppes of Asia, at least this is the current field, this is the current belief, came into the European region from the steppes of Asia around 3000 BC and began to settle all across the European continent, displacing the pre-Indo-European peoples like the Etruscans, the Basque, and the Beaker people, whoever was in the British Isles before the Celts were there. So, with them, they appear to have brought gods. Now, it's hard to trace which gods came from the pre-Indo-Europeans versus which were Indo-European. For example, it is believed by some that the Norse deities, the Aesir and the Vanir, are actually two separate groups, and that the Vanir were the la- or the Aesir were the later addition coming in with the Indo-Europeans, and rather than completely displacing or dominating the Vanir, the pre-Indo-European gods, again, this is all just you know, theory and hypothesis, none of this is set in stone. There's so much that we will unfortunately never know, but reconstructions of the Indo-European language as it stood before the one we currently have are a great resource for all of this. Um, and also, apparently, I need to turn the volume up. I am I am so sorry. There we go. I'm, even, I'm just going to move the microphone closer to me and see if that helps at all. Um, we're experimenting with a lot of different microphone settings and all that so i'm i'm learning on the fly with a lot of this i hope that's much better but what i was saying indo-europeans came into the region around 3000 bc and this was called the omnia culture initially they displaced or intermingled with a whole bunch of other pre-indo-european peoples so the aesir for example are much more warlike deities they are Odin and Thor and uh, I forget which one Tyr is, but a lot more of these warlike deities, people who you would recognize as similar to Zeus, Jupiter, or uh, Poseidon slash Neptune. And the gods that were already there appear to have become the Tuadei and the uh, the Vanir, who, for example, Frey and Freya are Vanir gods who are more associated with the wilds and fertility and things like that, agriculture, whereas you get these more warlike nomadic gods that come in later and gel with the already existing population. So what does that have to do with the Leshy and with Slavic folklore? Well, it's more of a convergent issue, just like carcinization, where a lot of various species of crustaceans turn into crabs, it seems that putting antlers on things is just a European trait. We just like to do that. Because if you look at the Wendigo, it's described as gaunt and emaciated and a you know, 15 to 20 foot tall being with a heart made of ice. Of course, there are other descriptions of it. This is a very, very uh, dispersed story from all over the nor- the northern North American continent, throughout the northern United States and most of Canada. The Algonquin peoples were spread out across a massive region, and you're never going to find something that matches everywhere. For example, you might find versions of it in Washington State and, and British Columbia that are going to differ extraordinarily from the versions that you would find in southeastern Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Delaware, or up in places like Montreal and Toronto. So what exactly is the Wendigo, 
at its core. Well, if you look to the Basil H. Johnston version, you're going to get a Wendigo being a gaunt, emaciated figure with frostbitten lips. It's missing toes and teeth and has jagged fingernails, uh, often hairless with papery thin skin. And it's something that stalks the forests, is created by hunger and greed. And then later on, it becomes, you know, this, this creature with antlers and all that. As soon as Europeans get in and they have to differentiate it from things like like goblins and orcs, and uh, I guess orcs and goblins are kind of the same thing in, in Tolkien mythology. But the, the point here is they had to differentiate this new Native American creature from the stuff Europeans were already accustomed to in order for it to sell well as fiction. So they added a deer skull to it and changed around the mythology so much that it's actually not recognizable as the thing from which it originates. Now, of course, that's not the only version of the Wendigo. I did some reading uh, this past week on the the Ojibwa, or Ojibwe, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, I've been told both are wrong, and I'm really struggling with that, just like the Appalachia-Appalachia debate. But in the Ojibwa folklore, you get something that is much more of a, it's much more human. It has uh, thoughts and, and feelings, not necessarily as we would recognize them, but there's one story of a Wendigo and an Indian child, and I'm using the terminology from, from the Ojibwa storytellers, by the way. I'm, this is not my saying Indian instead of Native American instead of First Nations. I'm just repeating to you what I got from the uh, Canadian Royal Archaeological Society's archives from 1918 to 1919, where they spoke to several Ojibwa storytellers who gave them the stories directly to them. One of them tells of a story of a Wendigo and an Indian boy, and the Wendigo takes the boy, and he's not fat enough to eat yet. So he keeps him around, and every once in a while, he'll use a knife to slit across his hand to check and see... Sorry, I lost my... Uh, my sound for a second, to check and see if he's fat enough. And one day, the boy is, the Wendigo and the boy go to a village, and of course the Wendigo can't enter the village, the boy has to do it. So he goes in because he needs food, the Wendigo eats people, but the boy eats human food. So he goes in and he explains upon the natives, upon the, the people in the village seeing his hand and the slit on it, he explains that he's been captured by the Wendigo and he cuts his hand open to check if he's fat enough every few days. The people of the tribe decide that this is a travesty, as it of course is, and they gather up a posse and go to hunt the Wendigo, and they cut off its legs at the knee. And when they come back, well, I guess just below the knee, and when they come back a few days later to check and see if it's dead, it is sucking the marrow from its own bones and laughing at them, so they kill it. It doesn't really say exactly how they kill it, but according to the Basil H. Johnson version and most of the pop culture versions, the way to kill a Wendigo is to burn it alive or to rip out its heart and burn that. It varies. Again, all of this, you have to remember, was only really written down in the last 200 years, which is fascinating when you think about it. But at the end of the day, it's kind of a tragedy that we're never going to know the origins of most of these stories. But there's other tales of the Wendigo. For example, that of Maseba, which is up in the Hudson Bay area. So Maseba is supposed to be a very large man himself, a heroic figure. You're going to think like Hercules here, uh, to put it in European terms. And I have to clear my nose, excuse me. There we go. So... Maseba is up, and the people of this area know there's a Wendigo, and no matter, try as they might, they cannot escape it. They cannot get away from its clutches, they cannot save themselves, and they, so they just accept that every once in a while somebody is going to go missing, and they can't really do anything about it. So what do they do? Well, when Maseba comes, 
he sets up camp right along the trail the Wendigo travels because he's actually hunting it. And he himself, like I said, is a large, very strong, very agile man. In fact, most likely based on the story, it doesn't say he's not a human being, but it seems that he might be superhuman in some way. And he places himself and he waits and for months nothing happens. And then one day he just gets a sixth sense that the Wendigo is approaching, that it's coming. And so he readies himself, he prepares, he meditates a little bit. He can he can hear it. It's some eight to ten miles off. And then a little bit later, he catches his first glimpse of it. It's coming towards him, and it picks up an entire maple tree, uh, a trunk of a maple tree about 20 inches in diameter. And they go to battle, swinging trees at each other. And it says that the Wendigo is 20 feet tall, the size of three or four men. It's huge, it's strong. And they fight, they duke it out. And he actually injures the Wendigo so much that it retreats and heads back home. But, of course, it, it can't be beaten, you know? So it comes back a little bit later, and Masebai is not having any of it. He defeats it, and then he kills it with a rock. Now, it doesn't say what kind of rock or how big the rock is, but I would presume that what happens is he crushes its head with a boulder, just based on the rest of the story. There's one other Wendigo story from the book that I was reading, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. All of this will be coming out in both the traditional version and in rewritten versions on uh, YouTube and Patreon. I'm going to do some audio stuff. I'm going to narrate some of these once I've uh, fleshed them out into longer format and given them some more detail that is in keeping with the lore, but at the same time turns it from a half-page long story into something that takes you know 10 to 15 minutes to read out. And then, of course, both the original versions and the full versions will be available to read on Patreon. Again, the Patreon costs $1 to get access to everything, but you are free to do higher tiers in exchange for benefits like hoodies and mugs and stickers and all of that. So I just want to make everybody aware of where that's coming from, where that's going. So as you can see from these two different versions, the Basil H. Johnson, who's also Ojibwa, they're, they're, these are from the same tribal group, the same nation. Both of these stories have vastly different versions of the Wendigo. So why is that? Well, it could just be differences in storytelling. It could be differences in how much was reported. There's no reason to say that the Wendigo that is depicted in these other Ojibwa stories is any different in appearance from the Wendigo described by Basil H. Johnston. Also, for those who believe that you are not supposed to say Wendigo, Wendigo is the anglicized version of the word. There are a number of other Native American versions, but to my knowledge, uh, W-E-N-D-I-G-O is neither the correct spelling nor the correct, correct pronunciation to be uh, saying in the Native American term, just like how Skinwalker is, of course, not the actual Native American term for that beast. That being, I'm not going to say what it is because I actually am concerned. Names do have power, you know, speak of the devil and he will appear. So I'm not going to get into that. You're welcome to look it up for yourselves. I also just did a TikTok reel and short that all cover the, that, the, the main differences between those two creatures. So if you're interested, check those out. You know, uh, the, the, I'm getting to a point where I'm just posting everything on all three platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, because I never know what they're going to do with my views. So that's kind of how that goes. So what about, what about the Leshy? Let's, let's bring it back to, to Europe, because you might think, oh, well, maybe European settlers who already had these stories of horned forest beings came over and transitioned them into the same thing about the Wendigo. Well, no, because... The Leshy is described as very tall, of course, and living in the forests and being the height of the trees, but he doesn't have horns. He's just a normal-looking guy, but sometimes he's missing an ear or an eyebrow or an eye on the right side of his face. 
he can be mischievous, he can be helpful, he can be harmful. He's a very, you know, neutral, can go either direction, depending on what your intentions are being in the forest, which, by the way, seems like it might be sort of similar to what's going on in the Nahani River Valley in Canada, where people who go prospecting, hunting, or logging turn up dead with their homes burned and their heads not attached to their bodies. So, is that a similar thing? Possibly. If you've been around the channel for a long enough time, you know that I believe that a lot of our folk tales come from something deep in our prehistorical past, that perhaps we were being hunted by something, and, you know, this is how we've dealt with it over the years. So, you know, have to have to toss my own opinions in there. I think that the the Wendigo and the Nephilim and the Leshy and all of these different stories probably all come from the same ancient, ancient, ancient source when humans were a much smaller population and far more spread out. Excuse me? It, it is, I will admit, it's hard to do these shows where I just have to talk the entire time because I'm like, huh, I have to sit here and, you know, clear my throat or my nose and, and that's just going to be an awkward moment for everybody, so I apologize for that. But with the Leshy... It's hard to tell what it even is, because all of the Slavic resources are in Slavic languages. And I don't read Russian, I don't read Ukrainian, I don't read Belarusian, I don't read uh, Moldovan, any of the Eastern, and it is primarily the Eastern Slavs who have this, as well as some of the Western Slavs, like the Poles, um, and, and I believe the Czechs also have stories of the Leshy. But, again, I still don't read Polish, I don't read Czech, I don't read Slovakian. So I can't do much of that. And there's not a ton of English language scholarship on the subject anyway. So you have to go into the in Slavic languages research, which of course there's not a ton of great translations for. But what I was able to determine is that the Leshy is either one being or a class of beings, much like how Christians and Jews have classifications of angels and demons. There are, of course, classifications of Slavic deities as well. So it could be one being, a lord of the forests, or it could be one set of beings who each have their own woods. Uh, it seems like both of those things could be true for different groups within the Slavic broader cultural group. But what we do know is that not a single version of it that's in the English language that I could find depicts the Leshy as having horns. It does depict it as something that will absolutely lead you astray and to your death should you be in the forest for the wrong reasons, and it does seem to have stories where it helps children get home. So what are we dealing with here? Clearly not the Wendigo, they're not the same thing, but it's not horned. So what is horned? Well, the god Kernunos, and I'm going to read to you about Kernunos from the Encyclopedia Britannica, because uh, as much as I love Wikipedia, it is often wrong. So Kernunos in Celtic is the horned one. If you were around for my video on the Carnani, who come from a story that I'm writing, it is very much based off of this entire topic. But in the Celtic religion, he is an archaic and powerful deity widely worshipped as the Lord of Wild Things. Kernunos may have had a variety of names in different parts of the Celtic world, but his attributes were generally consistent. Those attributes being, of course, that he was masculine, that he had a horned headdress or horns themselves, and that he seemed to be a Lord of the Wild. Now, you might think of, you might hear that and immediately think of Pan, the Greek and Roman god of the Wild. Uh, you might also think of fauns and satyrs. There's a number of other things that can possibly match this description. So, 
it seems like Europeans at some point in our ancient history did venerate some sort of wilderness deity who had these attributes. And I, I think that that's got to be part of where we get this affinity for adding horns to things, even if it's extremely subconscious. So he's the, the Kernunos, of course, is sometimes accompanied by a stag, possibly as a mount or as a companion. And he's got a ram horned serpent that is also a deity in its own right. So again, a lot of this, by the way, is conjecture. We know very, very, very little about Celtic religion. Uh, most of what we have comes from Roman versions of the stories and later adaptations by later Celtic writers. But the pre-Roman Celtic religion is veiled in mystery because we only really have one known consistent writing system from the British Isles and its own uh, which is spelled O-G-H-A-M, and it appears to be a written version of a certain form of sign language because everything has to do with uh, no more than five digits on a vertical line. So you'll have cross hatches, and uh, you know basically you'll just have lines that go either perpendicular or at a diagonal along a straight line, and this is ohm, and each of those represents a different letter. I believe it has been fully um, deciphered, and we can read it now, but it wasn't even that widely used because the Celtic Druids were deliberately illiterate in terms of you know what what made their their secrets so important because while many people believe that the uh, the Celtic Druids were a priest class that wasn't really the truth the Celtic society was broken into several classes you had your chiefs and kings and then below them you would have the warrior class and then below them you would have the Druids and then below them you would have the artisans and then below them you would have the peasants who of course made up the majority those were the farmers the hunters the gatherers the day laborers somebody who was, for example, a mason or an artist would be in the artisan class, and druids would be your law speakers, your uh, doctors, and your priests. So the, uh, this idea of druids as being this shadowy priestly class seems to come out of Victorian pseudo-histories. Anything you know about the medieval period or even earlier uh, that isn't about like Greece and Rome, which the Victorians kind of look to as like these great great societies, a lot of it is changed to be very, very not correct. Uh, Rob, I see what you said about Ogham alphabet. Uh, I, I'm i not sure. I have I, I pronounced it Ogham and Ogham, and I was told by a bunch of Irish people that I pronounced it wrong. I tend to, when it comes to pronunciation of words in a language that isn't American English, I do tend to default to what native speakers tell me. But again, it's entirely possible that I'm wrong. So, uh, the, but again, to get back to Kernudos, uh, he wore and sometimes also held a torque, which is a neck ornament that kind of goes around like this. Um, the, the earliest known depictions of Kernudos were found at Valcamonica in northern Italy, which was under Celtic occupation from about 400 BCE. So to cover that for people who aren't as aware of Celtic history, uh, the Celts were once the dominant cultural group in Europe, stretching from the southern tip of Spain up to the farthest reaches of the British Isles, across to Germania. So you would have basically the, the river, I believe it would be the Rhine, that separated I think it's the Rhine that separated the Celtic and Germanic worlds, although it might be further east than that. Um, and then to the south, you had them in all of France, which was at the time called Gallia by the Romans, and then across Cisalpine Gaul, which was the northern region of Italy, between, which is now kind of the border between Italy, Germany, and Switzerland. And then they even went further east into what would be just north of the Balkans, um, 
And so everything that was the former Austro-Hungarian Empire was Celtic. Everything going east of that, you had Celts. And then they start to taper off as you get to the eastern reaches of, uh, of Europe. And there was even a group in Galatia, in Turkey. Galatia is named after the Gauls, because Gaul was the Greco-Roman word for that Celtic group of people. Although the Romans called them Gauls, and the Greeks typically called them Keltoi. Uh, so there's a little bit of a difference in both of those. The point being, Celts were everywhere. And eventually, the Greeks and then the Romans and then the Germans after that kind of forced them into their remaining strongholds in terms of ethnic groups. So you've got places like Brittany, like uh, the Isle of Britain, the Isle of Hibernia, which is Ireland, down into certain portions of Spain. And that's really all that's left of them, and the English really tried their hardest to get rid of the ones that were left during the Middle Ages through multiple cultural and legitimate genocides. So, there are people that have gone through some hardship. But, the point of that is, you're going to find references to Carnunos all over Europe, no matter where you go, because he was such a prolific and important god that we know almost nothing about. Now, you might think, but but what about Wicca? What about the Wicca religion? They're, they're everywhere, and they know everything about Celtic mythology. No, they don't. Wicca was made up, I believe, in the 1950s by a British guy who wanted women to be more promiscuous. So, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to forget almost everything you know about Celtic mythology. And you're going to need to go back and research the Roman sources on it, because the modern sources, unless they're legitimate scholarship from the last 30 or 40 years probably not all that accurate. Now, what else do we know about Cernunos? He's depicted on cauldrons, he's depicted on shields, lots of metal. One thing that's not very well known about the Celtic peoples is that they were actually fantastic metal workers with steel and iron and bronze and artistry in them that was leagues ahead of the Romans in the early period. The Romans would catch up. But the Celts were fantastic metal workers, as were the Norse. Uh, you can also find silver vessels with his likeness on them in Denmark, which suggests either trade or Celtic occupation of the Danish peninsula, which I think is fascinating because when you think about like how widespread trade must have been, um, and that's from the first century BC. So that could theoretically be something the Romans brought back with them, but we don't know for sure. Um, and then of course, Cernunos, primarily a British God, but again, Why? Was he primarily British because we find the most evidence of him in Britain? That could very well be because the Celts lasted the longest there in their independence. We don't really know. Um, the Christians early on tried to tried to to paint him away, and this is through a deliberate a deliberate process that Christians early Christians called uh, Christianization, which was where you would go into a new area, and it was actually adopted adapted from what the Romans would do. The Roman pagans would go into places and say, your gods are real, and we respect their existence. We're going to pray to them as well as our own gods for your downfall. And then when they conquered people, they wouldn't force them to give up their gods. They would just force them to accept the Roman gods alongside them. So what the Christians did was a modified version of this. They would go in, and this was this was deliberate. We have the documents. We know this is what they were doing. They would go in, and they would find somebody. One of my favorite examples of this is St. Bridget uh, from 
uh, Wales and Ireland. They would go in and they would find a local deity and they would say, oh, no, your, your deity's real. It's just they weren't actually a god. They were, they were a saint. They were blessed by our god. And that gave them power. And this made it easier for Celtic societies and Germanic societies, various places uh, that the Christians were going. And it was primarily something they did in Europe. But it made it easier for the people to accept Christianity. And it's important to remember that for early Christians, this was not an imperialism issue. This was not kind of what you might look at with the Portuguese and the Spanish in the 16th and 17th centuries. This was an issue of these people were pagans and therefore they were they were doomed. They couldn't go to heaven. So they had to go and they had to rescue them by bringing the word of God. And whether you agree with that or not, the point is they were trying to do the right thing and the process by which they did it was called Christianization. So when it came to a God that they really couldn't pinned down as a saint for some reason, in those cases, they would often suppress it and try and avoid mention of it and 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 tell people it wasn't real. So, uh, with Kernunos, that's kind of how things went. The Christian church was not friendly to uh, people in that cult. Now, of course, the term cult is not as, it should not be as negative in your historical terms. The word cult typically just means, um, you know, a group of people who worship a specific deity. Now, over time, the term has changed meanings. So you might go back and look at the cult of Dionysus or the cult of Morrigan, things like that. And you're going to see terminology that you might recognize, but that has an entirely different meaning for the time it was written. There is a possibility that Kernunos is the reason for the horned god, the horned demon, Baphomet. But the origin of Baphomet is also kind of up for debate, because the term first appears in the wake of the Crusades, with historians coming back and knights and travelers talking about how the people of the region worshipped a pagan deity known as Baphomet. Now, they might be talking about the pagans of the region, who certainly existed. Islam was not ubiquitous in the region in the 12th century. It was the dominant religion, but it was by no means the only one, and paganism was practiced all throughout Europe as well, just in much smaller numbers. Christianity had taken hold a few hundred years earlier than Islam did in the Arabian region. So, they might have been talking about an actual pagan deity from the area, but we don't have a ton of resources that support that. A much more likely possibility possibility, in my opinion, is that they heard Muhammad and turned that into Baphomet or something like that. And, you know, over the time that they all traveled back to Europe, they started mispronouncing his name because when you look at what they're talking about, it kind of makes the most sense, in my opinion. And of course, I'm happy to do more, more videos on that if people are interested. But I think that's got to be where this belief that uh, things have to have horns come from is... You know, the the use of the, the horns of a goat in much of the Satanist imagery, even though a lot of that doesn't totally solidify until the 18 and 1900s. Anton LaVey, for, exa for example, was in the, the 60s using the goat as a symbol, but he was a crackpot and not really associated with any 
religion other than Satanism, and his version of Satanism was the stupid pop culture version that caused everyone to hate heavy metal for a really long time. If you watch the most recent Stranger Things, it's actually painting a really good depiction, as cheesy and campy as it is in some cases, and I'm not saying that's bad. I love the season. But if you watch it, there's a lot about how heavy metal is evil and Dungeons and Dragons is evil and all of that, and a lot of that comes from people like Anton LaVey not keeping their fucking mouth shut uh, and ruining everything for everybody. So... That's kind of how that goes. At this point, I'm kind of just going to start the question section early <laughs> because uh, I have a lot of trouble and I don't want to go back into a total Wendigo podcast here because we've got more Wendigo stuff coming up, but... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to at least cover all this. I found it personally quite interesting, and without a co-host here to help me out, I'd rather answer questions for the remainder of the show. Um, so, you know, uh, hit me with it. Let me know what curiosities you have, what questions, and I will absolutely go into them. Um, you know, and uh, I'm going to take a look through the chat. And, of course, uh, remember, the way we do question time on the show is that Super Chats get answered first, because... Obviously, and I will get to as much as I can. This is going to be a longer Q and A session. It's going to be thirty minutes, and it will probably involve quite a few tangents as long as there's a question. So, like I said, you know, open them up. Feel free. I'm happy to answer things, and as I come up with new stuff to talk about, I will do so. Uh, for those interested about the uh, the story I've written on the Carnoni, we have a video on that on YouTube, um, as well as a couple of installments of it on Patreon, as well as the first one on our Reddit page. I have like 8 million different social medias that I'm managing right now, so it's just so much fun. Oh, I forgot that I had the thunderstorm sounds on. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> okay, now I need to, so from Pyrrhus of Epirus, uh, who I just killed in Rome Total War, by the way. Uh, get got. Um, okay, now I need to ask, how did Lil Anton cause people to hate D&D and rock music? Basically, he... He used all of this fantasy imagery that was also being used by the heavy metal scene and by the Dungeons and Dragons community and just worked it into Satanism, which his version of Satanism is extraordinarily hedonistic and, um, you know, about about disorder and chaos, not... You know, and I'm not going to pretend that there's good Satanism because I, I don't think anything based upon a figure whose entire existence is that they're bad can be good. I think that people take the Satan of the Bible and apply all sorts of attributes to him that he doesn't rightfully have. So, uh, you know, we're, yeah, I could get more into why I think Satanism can't possibly be a good thing. And it's not some, you know, hyper religious thing for me. It's like, okay, you didn't read up on who Satan is. And if, if you are like me, if you are a Christian, then you believe that there's there's meaning to these things that can't be just extracted so simply. Um, 
yeah, it's hard to tell uh, History Daddy how Carandunos exactly came to be what he is. And, of course, I don't totally trust Britannica on this. I plan to do a lot of my own research. I want to do a longer video on Carandunos because I think he's a fascinating fixture figure and i think celtic history and uh and mythology is fascinating on its own right uh like i said i'm going back to grad school and once i get go to get my phd i'm going to be doing a lot of celtic mythology as part of it um let's see what else do we have uh from plaz his membership so by the way if you're a member you get free super chats um have you ever read any Brian Gadawa? He's got a very well-researched biblical fantasy series called Chronicles of the Nephilim. I'm going to have to look into it. Plaz, you have never led me astray, so I will be looking into that. Um, let's see what else do we have here. I'm going to scroll back up to the top really quick. I'm glad that the audio... Does it sound at least, like, crisper? Because I added some filters onto it to make it better. I think I did at least. Are they Are they actually here? Yeah, they're here. Cool. <laughs> It's just so much, so much of being a, a content creator is learning new things. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, we got the jackalope from Heavy Burn Man. We got the jackalope, which is a horned rabbit. So why not the jack of crab, <laughs> horned crabs? If somebody draws a horned crab, I will post it on our Instagram. I would love to see that. Um, Aiden, did you get my message on Discord? I will have to look through. My Discord has been utterly inundated recently. So I will take a look through it. Um, let's see, we're scrolling back down. Oh, God, who said Lashussy? How dare you? Just scrolling through. Yeah, don't ever, uh, Pythias, don't ever trust TikTok witches. Um, unfortunately, as, as cool as, like, the actual history of witchcraft is, and, and the paganism that, that kind of inter, interweaves with it, and even Christian witchcraft, uh, very common misconception, Christians fully believe, or at least the Bible talks about witchcraft, um, it's, uh, Christians believe in magic, it's not at all something, that we don't think it's necessarily a good thing to practice, but we don't, we, we believe in it, um, see uh what if a wendigo is a tall hungry old person who is lost in the woods due to their dementia i uh, that that would certainly be rather entertaining and perhaps a, a good plot line for a horror movie but it would not fit now there is something called wendigo psychosis which is a theorized culture-bound illness to the algonquin people which in my opinion is probably that that's probably born from some racism um but the belief is that you could upon being forced to cannibalize somebody for your own survival begin to crave all of this uh you begin to crave human flesh and convince yourself that you have become a wendigo and the reason that it's culture bound for those listening and not watching the reason it's quote-unquote culture bound is uh, probably because these people would already be susceptible to that belief that you could become uh, a Wendigo, and therefore they might be more interested in it. But I would argue that anybody who eats a human being and then craves human flesh is probably experiencing Wendigo psychosis, regardless of whether or not they're Algonquin. Why, uh... Why am I evil, Aiden? Your boy said, where's good Aiden, evil Aiden? I, why am I evil Aiden? Why's it got to be me? Um, I refuse to believe that Kernunos doesn't just have corn stock ears. Levain's Satanism is really just Satanism. That's a good point, actually. Uh, Miss Faith asks, are the Wendigos depicted in the game Until Dawn 
accurate to the Native American folklore. To my understanding, they actually did work with Algonquin uh, folklorists to get the most accurate version possible while maintaining the important plot parts of the game. For example, I think that they can't see you if you stand still. That would not be accurate, but their appearance is is probably one of the most accurate I've seen in pop culture. Uh, Supernatural also did a great job with it. The movie Antlers did the worst job possible. The movie Antlers is a travesty, and the longer it goes on and the more times I rewatch it, the more I absolutely hate it. I have not read the book it is based off of, but the version, it, it, it irritates me because it is so fake. Um, they spend all of this time in the story talking about the tragedy of how the Native Americans have been treated by white settlers, and they even bring Trump into it for some reason, even though the book was definitely published before that. Um, they bring in climate change. Basically, it's, it's a lot of like progressive talking points, and you know, then they go and totally, totally ignore the actual folklore of the Native Americans. Basically, they they use them as a soapbox to preach their political opinions and then totally disrespect their the, the folklore of the people that they're claiming to be fighting for. So I don't like that. I think that maybe there were good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with those. So uh, is it possible? Oh, shoot. Is it possible that the leshy green man Woodwoz Woodawazen be a stand-in for Neanderthal populations surviving into early medieval Europe or a European Sasquatch. So I know about the Green Man, and I know about the Leshy. Woodwoes is one I know you did a video on, Ryan, so I'm going to have to take a look at it and do some research myself. Um, I don't think Neanderthals, necessarily. I, I So if you're going to go with... If you're going to completely discount the supernatural, and you're going to completely discount uh, you know the, the belief in other dimensions and stuff like that... I would say at that point, yes, they might be a stand-in for an early other humanoid who lived alongside of us. But the way I see it, my personal belief is that at some time in our history as a species, there was a higher degree of interaction between us and spiritual beings. And, you know, laugh at me all you want for that. You're welcome to. But that is my belief on the subject. And I would say that these are probably our understandings of angels or demons. Uh, the Bible is not opposed to this, in my opinion, my interpretation of it. Uh, if you look at, for example, Kamash, who is one of the Moabite deities, um, he's he's talked about as if he exists but doesn't have power that can rival that of God, which would suggest that he is a legitimate being, an entity, but not a god. It does not have the power of creation and does not have the power to actually save anybody. There is a part in, I think it's Deuteronomy, where uh, God is saying, you know, go pray to him. Like, do it. Try it. See how it goes for you. I can help you. He can't. And it's actually a rather long chapter, too. So um, I think that that's my opinion on the subject. But yeah, I think if there, if there were to be a purely scientific version, it would probably be something to do with that, or at the very least, you know, maybe a, a shamanistic practice from a long, long, long time ago in a long-forgotten religion. Uh, Things We Should Know asks, have you looked into the Parlangua in the south of North America? Well, we can right now. What, how did that spell? Parlangua. Legend of the Parlangua. Non-alien creatures. The legend of the Louisiana Parlangua Swamp Monster. All right. In Louisiana, we have so many myths you can live your whole... 
Uh, it goes back to the 1960s in Rapids Parish, where a car, where reportedly a car was pulled out of the bayou and the driver was found in the vehicle half-eaten. Since then, reports have surfaced from all over Louisiana of the half-man, half-alligator-eating dogs, livestock, and even people. All right, this is going to require some more research, but half-alligator, it's a were-alligator. Um, my guess is that it was probably just a regular alligator, but I guess you never know. Um, uh, Pierce says, you may have bodied me, Aiden, but I simply decided to focus solely on a single thing for once in my life. <laughs> I would have killed Rome. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Pierce, Pierce of Epirus, what a guy. I, he's known for beating Rome in such a manner that he couldn't continue fighting them because he lost so many men, and that has spawned the term Pyrrhic victory, which has been used all throughout history since. But he actually was an extraordinarily successful general, and this is one of those cases where somebody is remembered not for their successes, but for one failure, uh, and even a failure that he recognized. But Pyrrhus did a great job in Sicily, he did a great job in the rest of southern Italy, and of course fighting against the Macedonians and the Greeks. He was extremely successful, and it, it really, if he had chosen to just focus on one thing for once, he probably could have conquered Rome. He just kept getting sidetracked. I'm glad you guys like the audio. Uh, sorry, I'm scrolling back through. Um, okay, do you have any advice on where to start studying Celtic mythology? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to have to think about that one. Um, I mean, your your best bet in terms of getting a... I wouldn't call it objective, but a good, solid, foundational understanding of the pre-Roman Celts is to read Caesar's Gallic Wars. Uh, while he is obviously pro-Roman, he does record a lot of good information. Uh, the voyages of Pythias would also be a, a, a thing to research. Um, I will look into some more fresh scholarship on the topic because I will have access to a university library and JSTOR and all of that again soon. Like I said, I'm while I am going back to school, that also kind of means doing this full-time, which means I'm going to be doing a hell of a lot more research and providing a lot more resources to people. Even though I can't give you the articles themselves, I can at least summarize things and give everybody some resources to do their own research. Uh, I can definitely do a video on the history of witches in different cultures. I've been trying to get Piper back, so I'll see if she's interested in helping me out with that. Uh, oh god, Rome doesn't exist. Ugh. It hurts me. Uh, I have not played until dawn yet. I do not have a PS4 uh, or a PS5. If, I, I'm told it might be on PC, in which case I'll stream it. Um, but I'll have to look into that. I'm, I mean, I'm maybe streaming a lot too. Uh, if you don't follow me on Twitch, I do have a Twitch. It is Twitch, uh, Twitch.tv/theAidenMattis. Um, I think it's listed somewhere on YouTube, but I post whenever I'm going to stream. So if you're interested in watching those, they're a bit more uh, reaction-style content and then some gaming, and, you know, it's a little bit more laid back and relaxed. So if you're interested, go check those out. Also, we're doing something on Twitch right now. If we reach 50 subs by Wednesday, I will be doing uh, a 24-hour stream where I will have special guests and we'll be doing gaming and cooking and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you know... Toss some subs. I think we're at 25, so we're halfway there. Uh, what else we got here? I mean, look 
I ate him to survive, but I was surprised to just how delicious was. <laughs> I'm probably gonna do it again. Yeah, the Wendigo explaining its decision-making uh, <laughs> would be a really funny skit, actually. <laughs> I might I might see about doing that. Uh, do I have a pen somewhere? I don't have a... Why don't I have a pen? I know I have a pen. There's definitely a pen somewhere here. Uh, somebody DM that to me in case I forget. Oh, pen. Perfect. All right. Uh, Wendigo trial skit. <laughs> I'm going to read that in the morning and be super confused about what I meant. Um, all right. Plaz says, also, satyrs are 100% in the Old Testament. Look up in your Strong's Concordance. Seir and Seirin. Uh, is that is that in this room right now? I think my Strong's Concordance is in the other room. But I'm definitely going to look into that. I love, I love my Strong's Concordance. It's so fun. I could not answer you, Benjamin Smith, about plants. I know nothing about them. Uh, I'm, I am not a biologist. Uh, antlers does give the Wendigo antlers. Um, it, it's, it's, I'm so upset about it. I had such high hopes. That's the other thing. Uh, antlers arguably should have taken place in Southern Canada to be the most accurate it could possibly be. I don't know why they chose Oregon. I can't remember if it was Oregon or Washington. I don't know why they chose a West coast state. I uh, probably for the atmosphere, but it would have made a lot more sense for it to be somewhere in eastern Canada. I think that they put it in the United States because they wanted a, an American audience and we might not be as interested in Canada. But at the end of the day, there were so many things that were incorrect about it that it honestly makes more sense that they got everything wrong than just getting a few things wrong. Like, for example, I don't think can like it, it's not even committing an act of cannibalism that turns the guy into a Wendigo. It's something like he already gets infected with something and then the act of cannibalism occurs. So let's see. Would a silver bullet with white ash on it, kill a Wendigo, a Wendigo, not necessarily. I think that that would be, uh, that, that doesn't quite fit the lore for them. However, a bullet tipped in white ash is one of the, uh, one of the examples for how to kill a skinwalker. So, uh, also, it wouldn't need to be silver. Silver does not seem to have anything to do with the Native American stuff. Um, it's so, so silver doesn't tarnish. That's kind of why it's... Or it doesn't tarnish easily. It's seen as pure. And that's why silver is seen as something that purifies. Just like fire purifies, salt purifies. If you look at the kind of stuff that often is used as wards or as weapons against the supernatural, it very often is uh, something that is known for its purification properties, be it silver, um gold gold is less common though because it's so valuable uh you might see something along the lines of uh a, a, like rock salt bullets things like that rock salt slugs um and then of course fire if you burn something it purifies it uh so that's kind of where a lot of that comes from let's see what else do we have here yes and basically anywhere where it gets cold enough to snow and there are forests and mountains is is going to be wendigo territory in the north american continent uh so theoretically you could argue that they might have made their way down the rockies um there is a story of the uh the donner party which was traveling west and one of the members of the party his name is escaping me at the moment somebody in the chat will probably know one of the members of the party had to resort to cannibalism to survive and it took him a while to recover so you could argue that that was in fact a version of wendigo psychosis 
I have not read Paradise Lost in its entirety. I've read excerpts of it. I know Wendigoon just came out with a video on it. And I want, next time we do Weird Bible, I want to talk about it with him. Um, which means I might have to read it too, but it's fine. Uh, speaking of which, go bug him on his channel about when we're going to do Weird Bible again. <laughs> it's, it's not enough for me to bug him. Also, Isaiah, if you see this, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. Uh, let's see. Parlangua? Is it is it French? Is that why? Um, yes, Oregon is definitely more of a Sasquatch state. Uh, I, I do intend to cover more Slavic folklore. That is definitely... I'm going to... Like I said, I'm going to be doing a lot more. We're going to be launching some new YouTube videos that are going to be shorter, maybe like five to eight minutes, covering these topics in greater quantity. And then we will, of course, do our more in-depth, uh, longer 15 to 20-minute videos on them as well. But those will be weekly, whereas we're looking at like po possibly daily for the shorter videos. Um, or at the very least, like three times a week. Yes, Plaz, reptilians. Uh, Cakes for $5. Thank you, Cakes. Says, live in Michigan, and I've been wondering what the spooks, what spooks share my state. Uh, fleshy boys? So, yes, Michigan would be prime Wendigo territory, but the more popular uh, creature from Michigan is the Dogman. Now, is the Dogman a creation of European settlers? Possibly. My initial belief about the Dogman was that it was totally made up for the radio and the newspapers as a way to, uh, you know, just catch people's attention. There was a song about it. But then I did some more digging at the behest of, I think it was Dark Productions. It was them or, yeah, I think it was Dark Productions posted a video. Or it might have been True Legends of Monsters. I've had him on the show, uh, Aaron Tomlinson. He has a book. I highly recommend that. Actually, you know what? That's going to be my recommendation. If you want a book on folklore, if you want to start researching monsters and all that, True Legends of Monsters by Aaron Tomlinson, fantastic. Go with that one. Um, and, you know, hit him up with a follow on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube if he's on here. He's a great guy, really nice, and uh, we loved having him on the show. He's a super cool dude. So check that out. But, yeah, for Michigan, there's the dog man. But the natives, uh, specifically the Inuit, have a creature called the Adlet. And the Adlet is a half-dog, half-man that was created when a woman in Greenland decided that she didn't want to marry uh, the person her father wanted her to, so she married a dog instead and got pregnant with the dog's babies, and half the babies came out as humans, but they were white, and she sent them east across the sea with a prophecy that they would return. Uh, you know, so... Th considering Greenland and when the story seems to have originated, it seems very possible that this is a story explaining the, the Viking presence in Greenland. But uh, it's also possible that this is a legitimate story. Um, but in their, in this version of it, uh, half the kids came out white and were sent across the sea to Europe and half of them came out as half dog, half man. And they were sent across the water back to Canada and theoretically, that tribe could have spread all the way across North America. So, whether you want to believe it or not, but I think that there's enough stories about dogmen in Canada and the northern United States that it's at least look, worth looking into. Um, whether we had some sort of type of berserkers running around, uh, the Ulfhednar of the Norse would have worn uh, wolf skins and such. So, I think that it, it could very easily have come from the Vikings, but at the same time, you know, it's always fun to consider the other possibilities. Uh, Christine Piambino Bennett for $49.99 says, This is because you're doing such a great job answering the very interesting non-super chat questions. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> I love my mother. Uh, Kaylin Kennedy says, Audio is McDonald's Sprite levels of crispy. <laughs> 
I love that. Uh, the Peruvian legend of the... I cannot pronounce that guy, but it's getting written down. Let's see, that's... Chula... Chuya... Right, because two L's in Spanish makes a Y sound. Chuya... Uh, Chuya... Chuya... I'm trying, I'm trying. Spanish Spanish is not great for me. Um, <clears throat> let's see, what else do we have in here? Oh, here we go, from Kyle Hilchenko. says, do you believe that Easter is adapted from pagan holiday? Absolutely, unequivocally not. I... Uh, not only are the arguments that it was adapted from Pagan Holiday entirely inconsistent, but they make no linguistic sense. Uh, one of them, for example, is that there is a Mesopotamian fertility god named Ishtar, and Ishtar and Easter sound similar, and since Easter is about a time of rejuvenation and takes place in spring, that works with fertility, so Ishtar and Easter, except the problem is Easter is not called Easter in uh, Greek. It is Pasha. And it's also Pasha in just about every language in Europe. Uh, it is specifically in English and German that Easter is not Pasha. It is Easter or Estre. Uh, Ostra also, uh, which probably comes from Ostermanet, which was the word for the April season in Old German. Uh, I think it might still be today but yeah so easter comes from it is english now if you actually read i believe it's bead um who talks about the goddess estra or ostra uh he even mentions that like her festival took place around the same time as easter but again that is much 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 later that is just the the word itself so yes the word easter might come from a pagan holiday or a pagan goddess or just a pagan name for a month a german name for a month but the holiday itself is pretty distinctly derived from Passover and then the actual death and resurrection uh, of Christ. So whether or not you believe Christ died and was resurrected, the timing actually does date to Passover. That is how Easter has been dated since the advent of the holiday, was that it is the, f uh, the first Sunday after the f first full moon in spring. Uh, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox, which is why Easter can be in late March or late April. So, no, it's not, it, it is not a pagan, uh, retcon. <laughs> uh, the Swamp Boogeyman. Believable stories about seeing a man-sized lizard, but aren't crocodiles, aren't, aren't alligators like that size? I have the pen! I found it! Uh, Pyrrhus was literally every open world protagonist who's meant to have a goal, but oh, building over there. Yeah, basically. I haven't read it yet. I haven't read Paradise Lost. I'm meaning to. Um, I think it's really cool, but at the same time, there's been some instances where people have mistaken it for being the actual story of Christianity, and I think that that's dangerous. Um, yes, definitely doing more cult-related content. We will have a video on Heaven's Gate coming out, uh, next Friday. So, that's been taking a lot of effort. I... There's so much documentation on it, and it's going to be a long one. Based on the amount of research I've had to do, this is probably going to be a 30 to 40 minute video um, on Heaven's Gate. But yes, we will be doing a video about a cult, 
probably once a month. We're breaking up our content into a much more structured format, so you're going to get Every month, you're going to get at least one video about a cult, at least one video about folklore, at least one missing 4-on-1 case, and at least one haunting. So we're going to be getting, splitting up into, into much more uh, organized content. I'm going to scroll down because I just saw we got a super chat uh, from Skeletal Mesh for $5 Canadian. Thank you. Uh, hey, Aiden, you ever considered looking at Aztec and Mesoamerican myths? There's a being called Nahual that I think you might be interested in. I've looked at a few. I haven't done a ton on it. Um, I, I've been meaning to. It's just I've kind of been covering stuff that I'm already culturally familiar with. So I do want to get into more of that stuff. And it's also possible that I'll be hiring some people to do their own videos on the channel. Uh, to cover things that I'm not as familiar with that they might be more expert in. But for the time being, I definitely do want to do some Australian and Mesoamerican and African, Asian, all of that. There's a lot to go around, and I've just kind of been covering the stuff that I'm already accustomed with, but I'm, I'm definitely looking into doing more of global stuff. Got to scroll back up. <laughs> Adventure like you. Um, yeah, but Paradise Lost, I saw that he came out with that. Um... I love that in this show, I'm not the only person in this comment section who is laid awake trying to figure out what kind of cup the Holy Grail was. I It would have been a chalice, most likely, which would look to you like a wine glass, um, but made out of metal or clay for Jesus being a carpenter as he was and preaching um, anti-materialism and being, uh, you know, not not concerning yourself. It, one of the most similar philosophies to early Christianity, and arguably the reason that it spread so easily in Rome once it was legalized, was uh, Stoicism. And Stoicism was kind of a what will be will be, and just you know let it roll, just be okay with it. Uh, life is what life is, and it's better to accept things than it is to dwell on them. So it's it's got a lot of similarities to Christianity. It's not a perfect match, but if you read Marcus Aurelius, you'll get a lot of stuff that you read and you're like, oh, this sounds a lot like Christianity. Um, you know, so that's 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 Greco-Roman philosophy, and it's probably the reason that Christianity took hold so well in that area. But yeah, it probably would have been a it probably would have been clay. Um and it would have been very simple. If you've seen uh I'm going to give a spoiler alert for this for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but the movie's been out for 40 years, so if you haven't seen it yet, that's your fault. Um, great movie, by the way. It, the entire original Indiana Jones trilogy is phenomenal and so worth rewatching as an adult. If you watched it with your parents as a kid, go back and watch it. Harrison Ford does a phenomenal job. They are such good movies, and they are so much fun to watch. True, like, adventure stories. There's not been something like that in a long time. One of the people, I'd say National Treasure is probably the closest we've gotten in a while. I wrote a movie. Nobody's bought it yet. It's the same kind of genre. I wish somebody would buy it. Um, if you want somebody to to make my movie on it, then, you know, go contact Lionsgate or something. Uh, but, yeah, the... In, in the movie, you get to the scene where they've got to drink from the correct Holy Grail cup. They've got to pick out which cup in the this set of cups is the Holy Grail. And, of course, this was all set up by the Templars. Uh, you've got to pick which one's the Holy Grail. And the one guy grabs a really ornate one thinking, well, only this would be you know reasonable for the Son of God. And Indy, of course, grabs the simplest one, which it's Jesus. So that makes sense. And, of course, that's it. Uh, oh boy, do Wendigos mate with werewolves? Uh, I, I don't think Wendigos even mate. Um, I haven't heard a story of them doing it. If I come across one, I will certainly change my, uh, 
my spiel on this, but as far as I know, Wendigos do not mate. They only think about um, food. Uh, yeah, Antlers did not have good rules about how you become a Wendigo. Have you ever squatted? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I did not know there was a Donner Party board game. I knew Oregon Trail exists. Uh, your school did... Django, your school did a play on the Donner Party? Why? That's so deeply disturbing. I'm so sorry. Do you get to, oh god, this has become a bunch of There's just there's a whole bunch of Skyrim references in the chat. I love it. Um would you consider the Aztec gods demon-like entities? Even the Aztecs make it sound like I can't pronounce that word was a blood-hungry maniac. I don't know enough about Aztec mythology to make a comment on that. Honestly, um, and I don't want to offend anybody by making comments that I have not properly researched. I have no problem offending people when I know I'm right, but I don't want to offend people when I'm just, you know, hypothesizing. So I'm not going to speak on that, but I will look into some more of it. Um, I'm I'm working on something pretty cool with with Stakuyi that I think will cover a lot of this. I. If it, if it ever actually materializes, it's a lot of work for both of us, and we're trying, but um, I've been hinting at that for a while. We're, we got some some fun stuff in the works, and hopefully that'll materialize very soon. Um, Sinocephaly has at least one mythical, mythological precedence for Dogman. I'm going to have to look up what Sinocephaly is. Hang on. I, I know those Latin words, but... Oh, dog-headed. Okay. Um, is it real? Like, is, is there a, a legitimate version of this where people actually have dog-like faces? I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of stories of it. You're, you're not wrong. St. Christopher, head of a dog? Weird. Yeah, with that one, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'll have to look more deeply into it. I am, I am definitely not... I am 100% the kind of person that if you ask me a question, I don't know the answer. I'm going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> North Dakota. Uh, not specifically North Dakota. I have been working on a Lore Lodge almanac of American folklore. It's coming along slowly. <laughs> uh, but hopefully hopefully we'll have something soon. Chuyachaki. Uh, Chuyachaki. Wow, that is not how I would have pronounced that at all. Thank you, though. Um, so the Vikings in Greenland got wiped out by half-dog people. That was not what I was saying, Ryan. <laughs> uh, that is, no, I, Lenago, that is not where the name Easter comes, that, it might be the, where the name Esther comes from, but it's not where the name Easter comes from, just to be clear. I, I'm not sure, I might have misread that, but, uh, not to add to your work, but I would love to hear about Corius Maris and the African Where Hyena. I'm, I'm gonna set up, like, a suggestion box. For people to just submit stuff. Um, Colt stuff, yay. <laughs> Heaven's Gate with the New York Giants, G. <laughs> uh, forgot to include the fact that it's bipedal and tailless. What was that? Was that the... I'm, I'm losing I'm losing track of things. Oh, okay. I see what you're talking about. Alright, yeah. So that's definitely... Definitely more along the lines of something cryptid related. Um, yes, the first haunting video we're going to do should be coming out at the end of this month, and it's going to be on the Annabelle doll and the, uh, the Warrens, so I'm excited about that one. Um, and I probably will be using Wendigoon as a resource for some of it. I'm going to see if he wants to pop in for the video. 
nuclear disasters. I would love to. That's a bit outside of my purview, so I'll see about it. Um, but I would definitely need some help with it. So, you know, I'm again, I'm not the type of person who's going to pretend I'm an expert in everything. Um, I, I, I know I'm a smart guy, but there's different kinds of intelligence, and science is not one of mine. Um, J-Rock2007 says, Do you have any idea if the pre-Viking Slavs worshipped the same Germanic Norse gods as the rest of pre-Christian Europe? It's hard to tell, because there are definitely some similarities. Uh, Perun seems a lot like Thor, in a lot of ways, but so much of what we have about the Slavs comes from other peoples that it's hard to tell where they're accurately depicting the Slavic pantheon versus where they're uh, putting their own version of things onto it. Remember, if Christianization happened, it's entirely possible that the Norse were doing the same thing. So I, I would have to look more deeply into it. Part of the problem with Slavic stuff is that so little of it has been translated into English. So, so much of the scholarship is inaccessible to non-Russian speakers and non-Polish speakers. But uh, hopefully, again, with the access I'm going to have through the university, hopefully I will be able to look more deeply into some of this stuff. Um, and uh, to answer the quick question about where the, the Wendigo comes from, it is an Algonquin legend, which puts it all over northeast north all over eastern canada much of the northeastern united states uh some of the central midwest like the great plains as well as most of the american canadian border within a couple hundred miles in either direction um scrolling through yeah if passover cups were traditionally start carved from stone it would probably be stone not even clay then um disaster of coldwater creek uh, most interesting for me, honestly, just because of where I live and where I grew up, is Three Mile Island. Um, partially because it was so much human error. Every nuclear disaster is human error when you look at it. Kyle Hill has a great video on Three Mile Island. I highly recommend looking into that one. Um, he explains it better than I ever could, but that's the one I think is the most interesting, mostly because it happened an hour and a half away from where I live. Uh, and it's the biggest nuclear disaster in American history, and arguably the media coverage of it really overinflated how bad it was which could be part of the reason coupled with chernobyl and later fukushima that people in the united states are so afraid of uh, nuclear energy uh germany just shut down all of its nuclear power plants for reasons that i don't understand meanwhile france gets about 70 to 75 percent of its energy from nuclear and exports that all over europe as well uh limerick nuclear power plant which is about 20 minutes from me is one of the most prone to an earthquake in the country so if an earthquake somehow hits pennsylvania we could be in trouble um but yeah so it's kind of a tragedy in that it really stunted the development of nuclear energy and forced us to be reliant on uh, fossil fuels and later wind uh, and water energy. And it's it's most it's also likely that a lot of this was being pushed by the oil and coal lobbies because they of course didn't want nuclear energy to succeed because it would take away from their revenue. Uh, but nuclear energy itself is actually extraordinarily safe, and fourth generation reactors uh, actually don't even use uranium; they use thorium, and they use I think ninety nine percent, if I remember correctly. 
of their of the the material so there's far less waste than with a uranium or plutonium reactor so thorium salt reactors are actually probably the future of t of energy they have almost no risk of meltdowns even if they were to melt down it would not be a huge deal because there's so little reactivity going on uh, so little material and storing the waste would be incredibly easy uh, as compared to storing uranium or plutonium waste so there's there's a whole bunch of stuff with nuclear power. I'm a huge proponent of it, which along you know five six years ago I wasn't. So um, the more you look into nuclear power, the more you have to support it. It really is probably our best bet because it t it, it has so much smaller of a carbon footprint um, than even wind power in terms of how much carbon goes into it per you know kilowatt of energy produced. And wind turbines are horrible for the environment, as are hydroelectric dams and solar fields take up so much space to produce so little electricity nuclear power plants you could build entirely underground um as long as you had the cooling towers so i like i said huge huge proponent of nuclear over here um what else we got in here also while while everybody's here i do want to point out uh Kaylin kennedy who is one of our one of our subscribers one of our oldest uh subscribers i believe he did our new theme song that you hear at the beginning of our new videos. Phenomenal musician. Check him out. Throw him a sub. He deserves it. Uh, he's a really, really talented guy. We're going to be working on some other projects together. Uh, he sent me over a, a demo track for something that I'm very excited about. So keep keep tuned for that. Thorium, son of Odinium. <laughs> uh all right, I am, I am going to say uh, if you have any more questions that are pressing, make them super chats because we are getting close to the end of the show. Uh, when, when, it's, when there's no guests, we try to keep it 7 to 8, so I'm, I'm already running over. But yeah, so uh, if you have any more questions, toss them in the super chat. I'll try and get to what's here, but anything that comes in after this point, I might not get to. Um, okay, let's see. I, well, I'm glad you loved the play, Django. I'm just concerned. Um <laughs> North Carolina, anywhere anywhere that's adjacent to the Appalachians, you, you, there's there's funky stuff. Everyone I've ever talked to who hiked the Appalachian Trail has told me that they had weird experiences. I don't think that can possibly be a coincidence that everyone who does it experiences something strange. Um, AD says, I can speak Russian. I'm happy to volunteer and try and translate stuff. Uh, if I come across a document that I need help with, I might actually put a call out for that. So thank you. Um... My friend Tommy took a few years of Russian in college, but I uh, could not could not uh, stick with it. It's really hard, actually, from what I hear. It's harder than German and Latin. Um, so I, uh, my band is not on Spotify or YouTube because we're just a local cover band. I'm actually only kind of in it too. I'm I like you know I basically did backup last night uh, from the side of the stage. Um, so. But yeah, uh, but our drummer, PJ, uh, is in a band called Midfield. If you like pop punk, definitely go check Midfield out. They absolutely deserve your listens. They are so good. They're great guys. 100% check them out. They're trying to get signed so they can really do this uh, you know, full-time and go, go hardcore with it. So check out Midfield. They're on Spotify. Um, and their drummer, or their guitarist, is the drummer in All You Had to Say, the band I play with, uh, PJ. So PJ also streams with me on Twitch. So if you want to come hang out, uh, he's a really cool dude. He's very funny. Um, I highly recommend that as well. Let's see. Uh, what else we got in here? Yeah, nuclear tech. I have so much respect for nuclear scientists just continuing to chug along, even when they're struggling. 
um, with with public opinion. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, History Daddy asks, who wins in a fight, Sasquatch or the Wendigo? In my opinion, Sasquatch at full power bodies the Wendigo. I I think this is actually something that the native community might be addressing in their, their stories. Sasquatch is very often a protector, an elder brother. He's uh, seen as kind of a, another iteration of humanity, maybe, uh, a spiritual being. So related to us, but not the same thing. And uh, travels between dimensions and, and such, basically protecting the forests and people who respect nature. So if you were to go in and do some logging, you might piss off a Sasquatch. But if you were just, you know, respectfully hunting, it's not going to bother you. And if you were respectfully hunting and a Wendigo attacked you and you were in Sasquatch territory, maybe it would help out. I don't know. I think it could be a very interesting movie plot, by the way. Uh, and of course, Kalen, you deserve it. You've been awesome. You've been so helpful for us. Um, I think you... I, I, Anytime somebody helps us out, I'd always think it's appropriate to to throw back. You know, I this has been such a great community. Uh, whether it's whether it's guys like uh, Ryan and Kalen or uh, Wendigoon and Mr. Ballin, uh, Stakui, all the people who have been along for the ride, helping us out, collaborating with us, um, you know, offering us help with things like theme music or just being guests on the show. I, I'm really grateful for everybody that's been a part of this so far, and I can't wait to see where things go. Um, any Florida lore? There is so much to talk about. I am going to be doing a video on the skunk ape, though. Uh, it's coming up, as well as the Cherokee devil, but that's more, uh, I think, I'm going to say Georgia and I don't think Mississippi. That doesn't sound right. Missouri? Um, let's see. Straight up saw a demon while you were staying in a cabin with your friend. Uh, email me the story, thelorelodge at gmail.com. Email me the story. We're bringing story time back. Uh, we weren't able to do it this past Tuesday because just some stuff came up, but I'll be recording one for this coming Tuesday tomorrow. Uh, we might also start putting them out on Wednesday, but I'm not quite sure. really depends on my schedule once I get my classes. Um, Natalie says she misses you and wishes she was here. <laughs> Why isn't she? She was supposed to be. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The Nagual mentioned earlier sounds like the Mesoamerican version of the Slavic vampire Kudlak. Maybe I gotta do a nice long video on vampire lore. Um, that should probably... I've kind of avoided the really classic monsters and gone for the more, uh, obscure ones, but I, I would do that. Oh, of course it was in Appalachia. Uh, according to, uh, T.L. Langster says, according to one military linguistics, Russian is a class four language, putting it in the same class as East Asian languages like Hindi and Cantonese. Uh, in terms of difficulty, I assume. Finally, who wins questions? The best questions ever devised by man. <laughs> what if Sasquatch was the future variant of man? I guess that would theoretically be feasible, actually. Might make sense. If you could figure out a way to use interdimensional travel to time travel. It's an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen our, our video on the Sierra Camp tapes, but uh, those those are certainly an interesting one as well. Although I think that, uh, I, I don't know if Sasquatch would necessarily be my answer, but I have some, I'm interested in it. Um, let's see. Uh, Florida, Florida, Florida lore. Um, honestly, I wouldn't be, history says, honestly, I wouldn't be closing in on a thousand subs without you. Oh, well, thank you, man. I'm glad. I'm glad to be helping. Uh, you know, it's a long journey with YouTube. It's hard, but I, you know, it's, it's rewarding and it's a lot of fun. The very end of the day, even if, you know, even if you're just doing it for fun, 
you can create a really great community. Um, and I love doing these live streams with everybody, answering questions and all of that. You know, it's really a great time, and I'm I'm so glad to have an opportunity to to have this platform and this audience of and and build this community. Um, and speaking of community, we do have a Discord. If you're not in it, uh, the link is in the description. If that link does not work, then I am sure somebody in the chat can grab it right now and paste it. Uh, I might be able to, actually, if I move very, very... Ah, right. I am not logged into Discord on this computer for some reason. I think I logged myself out of everything. Uh, I can't remember why. Um, what else do we have here? Uh... Alex Corp says, fun fact, the story that inspired the Exorcist book and eventual movie happened in St. Louis. The house is still up to this day and you can visit it. Well, I know what I'm doing when we have the money to. Um, it's driving me nuts. I, I'm i like this close to getting a TV show. And if I could just get the TV show, I could do so much cool stuff. Because it's all a money issue. Um, but... I'm actually not this close to getting a TV show. I'm more like this close to getting a TV show, but you get my point. Um, and would you cover Alien Encounters? Yes, I have some video ideas coming up on the Flatwoods Monster as well as the uh, Goblins of... The Hopkinsville Goblins? Hoskinville Goblins? I can't remember the exact name of the town. But, yes, there's, there's a lot of stuff coming out. And again... Uh, the more of you that tune into these streams, the more of you that watch the channel, the bigger this channel gets, the more time I can dedicate to it. Because at the end of the day, if this can become a career, if this can become something that I I can make enough money to live off of, I will be doing all of this full time. I love doing it. I love having these conversations. I love having guests. So, um, you know, all that. Uh, History Daddy, did you just type in the chat Discord link? I hate you. <laughs> uh, a vampire lore video? I think I can make that happen. I do have to get back to somebody. Somebody asked me for help with a book they're writing, and I need to get back to them. Thank you for reminding me. I feel horrible. Um, <laughs> there's one funny one where the aliens gave a man pancakes. Aw. Uh, if you guys check out... Um, if you guys just want some UFO content, see if you can find any digitized versions of Coast to Coast AM. Um, it's mostly bullshit, but... It's fun to listen to. Um, there's uh, David Politis has been on it. Uh, so is Graham Hancock, I believe. Uh, as as well as um, I think Gilman's been on it. Gimlin's been on it. Uh, I think Randall Carlson. I'm trying to remember all of the people I remember being on it for sure. Uh, Jeremy Corbell. All, all the all the UFO people. It really is mostly about UFO and paranormal. So um, it's kind of it, it's almost like our show, but without any of the academics and all of the believing things at face value. But if what you're looking for is pure entertainment, it's you know that's exactly what it is. It's basically made for truckers who are just on the road late at night um, listening to scary stories. So I. Uh, <laughs> Maybe YouTube won't let you send Discord links anymore, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, if you check out the, uh, in, in the description, there's a Discord link, so you, sh you can get it there. But yeah, join the Discord, we have a lot of fun. Um, again, as I'm starting to plan to go full-time with this while I'm in school, we're going to be looking at, you know, movie nights and things like that over in Discord. I also play games with my Discord members, um, been doing a lot of Left 4 Dead lately, some Warzone, so, you know, if there's a game that I'm playing that you play... Hop in. We're also doing a lot of reorganization for the Discord. There's going to be some some changes to the formatting to make it a little bit more cohesive and streamlined and easier to navigate. I'm excited about it. We're going to be uh, hopefully getting 
Discord partner soon. Um, so yeah, but I, uh, you know, what did I? Uh, what, what am I seeing down here? Um, but yeah, uh, for whatever reason, I maybe I guess YouTube banned you from sending links in the uh, in the chat. That's really weird. That's kind of annoying. Maybe I can do it, but you guys can't. I don't know. Um, let me see. I'll grab this one from right down here. Can I do this? Is it going to let me do it? Is it going to let me? Ah, I can do it. There it goes. Hopefully that one works. I think it's live. Um, I don't play a ton of Minecraft anymore. Um, I don't have a good reason. <laughs> but I did set up the Minecraft Realm server for the for the Lore Lodge, so... Um, which cost me like seven dollars a month. That's the only reason it's a disc, it's a patron exclusive thing is because it's it costs money to run. Um, again, once we can hire staff, I would love to have some actual gaming stuff like various uh, dedicated servers and all that. But it costs money, so um, I mean, g go into the Discord and tell people that you're hopping into the Minecraft realm, and you might get some people. I know a lot of people were there for a while. Uh, yeah, I, the the house with the exorcist, I've heard some really sketchy stuff about. We'll probably do that as one of our haunting videos um, soon. I've got to watch the original movie, too. But I uh, see Plaz says, I'm running a new tabletop RPG campaign called Dryas World. Players living pre-biblical flood in a deeply supernatural world. Plaz, I need all of the details. All of them. One day there will be a Lore Lodge Con, and I will beg to be on a panel with you, Scooby Piper, and Wendigoon. I would love to do Lore Con. That would be so much fun. Um, I need to be a hell of a lot bigger, or Wendigoon needs to run it, because I can't I can't get that kind of pull. Um, uh, but I... Alright, I will say, as we're getting close to 8.30pm, I gotta hop off, I gotta get ready for... Uh, you know, the next, the next set of things, there's stuff I got to work on tonight. So thank you guys all so much for tuning in, for hanging out, for the super chats, for your support, everything. I really appreciate all of it. If you're not in the discord, join it. And again, if you want to support what we're doing, Patreon's a dollar a month and those dollars really do add up. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are like, ah, oh, what's a dollar really matter? If, if 10,000 people do a dollar, that's a lot of money. So, um, and that would mean a whole lot of really cool content. So, you know, Thank you so much. It's guys, it's viewers like you that really make this happen. And I feel like I'm in a PBS commercial now. But yeah, that's that's what I mean is you know, your support means the world to us. Um I always say set aside five bucks a month, give a dollar to each of your favorite creators on Patreon. Um that's what I do. So I uh, you know, thank you guys so much, and I will see you on the next one.